Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So welcome to our Catechism class. The last time we met, we attempted to introduce the doctrine of the Ascension of Christ. That's a part of the life of Christ that we don't often think about, or that we don't think about enough, and that we certainly don't hear preached about too often in church. So in that podcast, we made some basic biblical textual observations about the Ascension. And we find out that it is not just mentioned in that well-known passage in Acts chapter 1, but that it is a consistent theme throughout the scriptures. We noted that the ascension was visible. The disciples who were there saw it happen. They saw and they heard the angels who were present telling them that Jesus will return in the same manner as he had left. And we learned that it was glorious, that there was a cloud present, a symbol of the glory of God. And we rightly observed that the ascension of Christ is a faith-affirming and heart-warming doctrine with personal application for our own Christian lives. In this lesson we shall go a step further and we begin to tease out what the ascension teaches us about who Jesus is and where he is right now. And we shall do so with the help of question 47 and question 48 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 18. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast, and I'm Bob McAvoy. let's start with the basic question, where is Jesus right now? The fact that Jesus ascended into heaven may prompt some to ask, where is he, even now as we speak? Our catechist deals with this important question in question 47. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world, as he has promised us? And the answer is, Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace and spirit, he is never absent from us. You can understand why our instructor puts this question to us. Jesus promised his disciples that he would never leave them and never forsake them. That he would stay with them, not just for a few short years, but right until this present age ends. He certainly did leave them, that day when he ascended into heaven. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
Just before that, in Matthew 26 and verse 11, Jesus had said, For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. So is Jesus with us to the end of the world, or is he not? Now our instructor answers this important question by referring again to the doctrine of the two natures in one person in Christ. We learned about that in earlier lessons. We learned that Jesus, when he was on this earth, was fully God and fully man. At the same time, those two natures are indivisible. The Nicene Creed expresses this very well. It talks about one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. Jesus, both God and man. Fully God and fully man. As a man, he has a physical body, and that same body was crucified at Calvary, died on the cross, and rose again from the grave incorruptible. And it was that physical person of Christ that left this world at the ascension. That's got amazing implications for us, and we'll think about them in our next lesson. But for now, Christ's human nature is no longer on this earth. But what then of his divine nature? Because Christ is God, and God is everywhere. How can that be? Well, remember what we learned about the Trinity, that God is three persons in one God. All of these persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are co-equal and co-eternal in the Godhead. They are one God. So when Jesus told his disciples that he would leave them, he told them also that he would always be with them through the presence and work of God the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. John 14 and verse 16. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, little, little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Let's summarise that. Jesus left us and went to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to intercede for us. And he is simultaneously present with us through the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at a few common difficulties and misunderstandings. What about those evangelical invitations to ask Jesus to come into your heart? It's easy, especially when talking to children, to simplify the gospel so much that we actually neutralise it. How many times have you heard someone issue an invitation where people are told, especially young people, to just ask Jesus into your heart? Not long after I had become a Christian in 1971, my father was taunting me once again for my Christian faith, and he was saying, where is this Jesus you claim to have met? That it was his mocking put-down. 
Surprisingly, my mother attempted to come to my aid. I remember the incident so well that I even remember where I was standing at the time. My mother came over and patted me on the chest and said, He's in there, isn't he, son? Well, he's not, actually. Physically, Jesus is in glory. We know where he is. You cannot simply ask him into your heart. The danger is twofold. Firstly, that would demean the person of Christ. To consider that Jesus is in my heart is to reduce the Lord Jesus Christ to some kind of ghostly, disembodied, subjective personal experience, rather than the risen, ascended, glorified Saviour. And the second danger is that it actually displaces the true gospel. The message of let Jesus come into your heart is a far cry from the true message of repent and believe and trust in Christ. And to try to get a child to understand salvation by telling them that a grown man, a physical person, must enter into their heart is just to defeat the purpose. Now, I've heard some sincere evangelicals defending this invitation to let Jesus come into your heart. One minister did so by quoting Ephesians 3 and 17. That says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. In a discussion on social media, that minister insisted that this gave him the biblical authority to preach this message. But it's a dreadful example of proof texting. It's taking one single verse and building a doctrine upon it without any reference whatsoever to its context, even its immediate context. In fact, the very preceding verse, the verse immediately before that verse, sets the context for us and explain how Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. In Ephesians 3 and verse 16, if he had read a verse earlier, he would have read this that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It is the Holy Spirit who indwells the inner man, not the risen physical Christ. Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. Second, difficulty that we can have, the second misunderstanding, comes from pietistic understandings of Christ's presence. Someone will say, I could really feel the presence of Jesus in that meeting. There's a hymn that falls into this trap. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Aye, it's one of the worst hymns ever. The physical voice of Jesus, his physical presence, walking and talking with me in a garden. It is simply not true. And as we've learned, the physical human body of Jesus is in heaven right now, not on this earth, not in a garden or anywhere else. John 17 and verse 11, Jesus says, Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, referring to us. 
and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be as one as we are. The third possible misunderstanding comes from the Lutheran understanding of the ubiquity of Christ. Lutherans, you see, believe in the real physical presence of Jesus in the bread and wine at the communion service. Now, don't misunderstand this, for they don't believe in transubstantiation like the Catholics do, where the bread and wine are mysteriously changed into the flesh and blood of Jesus when the priest utters certain words. That's not what they believe. Lutherans take the words, this is my body and this is my blood, literally, believing that since the ascension, Christ's bodily presence is actually everywhere. Therefore, he must be physically present in the communion elements. The Heidelberg Catechism, specifically written to reconcile differences between Lutherans and Calvinists in the Palatinate of Germany, is unequivocal on this matter. Jesus is not physically present in this world. He's not in the bread and he's not in the wine. And the elements of the sacrament remain no more than bread and wine, for the resurrected body of Christ cannot be two places at once. When the woman came to the empty tomb, the angel told them, He is not here, for he is risen. Jesus is physically in heaven and present on earth through the Holy Spirit. John 16 and 28 and again we hear the words of Jesus. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. So three possible dangers, three misunderstandings of the risen, ascended Christ. Evangelical invitations to ask Jesus into your heart. That's wrong pietistic understandings of the presence of Christ and Lutheran understandings of the ubiquity of Jesus. Now there's another aspect to this that we must consider. The ascension of Jesus, his bodily ascension into heaven, is only a temporary absence from this world. There's great significance in the words of the angel in Acts chapter 1, where he says, In like manner also he, the Saviour, shall return. He will physically and bodily return at the very last day of this age. And that's part of the gospel message of the apostles. If you read Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 down to verse 21, you'll read these words. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Some people will ask, how does this affect the doctrine of the two natures of Christ? If Jesus is physically absent from this world, but spiritually present, through the work of the Holy Spirit, does this not harm our doctrine of the indivisibility of the two natures of Christ? Now, 
our instructor tackles this head-on in question 48. In question 48, he asks, But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other? If his human nature is not present, wherever his divinity is? The answer is not at all. For his divinity knows no limits, and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within his human nature, and remains personally united with it. Think about that. Christ's humanity is in glory, but his divine nature is everywhere, here on earth, within the believer, as the Holy Spirit does his indwelling work. Jeremiah 23, verse 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places, that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? And yet also in heaven, in the risen, ascended, glorified Jesus, our brother in heaven. That's the unity of the Trinity. As Paul wrote in Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So as you can see, the doctrine of the Ascension is hugely important theologically and practically too. And we shall explore its practical application for the believer in our next lesson. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go onto your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you and an absolute privilege. I am your servant for Christ's sake.